is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As there's your host, Brandon, but this time, Cobham Crew Edition, we've got Phil at Chelsea joining us. Phil, long time no talk. That's on us. Hope you're doing well. A lot has been going on in your world. Yeah, it has been, and um, good to be back. And it wasn't all on you. I was uh, laid low for a little while by a, a throat infection that stopped us recording a little while ago. But good to be back. Plenty to talk about. Not necessarily everything um, to celebrate on the Academy front, but plenty of interesting stuff nonetheless. And that's why we talk about it. Just to give everybody a heads up of what is going on around the entire club. Uh, I think they're pretty much the only place that does that in the Chelsea community. So appreciate uh, people like Phil jumping in to fill us in. So we'll kick it off with the dev squad to remind everybody they were in the hunt for a title challenger. It's pretty much them and City. Unfortunately, though, Phil, losses to Crystal Palace and City actually today have pretty much just ended that. Yeah, it's over mathematically. They found a particularly bad time of the season to have their worst run of the season. Uh, they haven't won in three. Uh, they went through a three-game un- un- winless run back in August at the start of the season. Didn't happen again until the last month when they drew it home to Everton and they lost at home to Crystal Palace and lost away to Manchester City today. And they needed to avoid defeat at City to have any chance. They had to win there to have a realistic chance. And it was a fairly even game for a lot of the first half. It was The first 15 minutes were as frenetic and as high tempo uh, an academy match as you'll see the season chances on both teams. And then when you have those sliding doors moments, the fine margins where things don't go your way at one end and then they do at the other, they can change the momentum of a game. Amari Hutchinson hits the post for Chelsea at one end. Uh, four minutes later, City go down the other end and open the scoring. And now you're behind the eight ball a little bit and you've got to go a little bit more aggressive against a team that would love you to do that. This City team is built to play on the counter-attack with width, uh, third-man runs from midfield, all of that. They took advantage of that in the second half, went 2-0 up, 3-0 up from a mistake, and it's over at that point. Chelsea got one back from the informed Leo Castledine, but uh, they can't win the league now. City only need one more win from their remaining games to win it for a third year in a row. Crystal Palace can still technically overtake both of them. They've been in fantastic run of form themselves, including that win at Chelsea. Ideally, Chelsea finished second because they've had a really, really good year. They deserve to be second best to City the way that they've played. It's like they finished strong. They've got a couple of games left, win both of those. Hopefully Palace drop points in at least one of them and the table would probably look fair as a result. Well, and if we remember last season, it was the R word, Phil. It was relegation battle. Night night and day. This time last year, we were trying to plot a course that involved other teams giving Chelsea help and then going into... Last day of the season at home to Tottenham, trying to stay up. Roped in a little bit of first-team help in uh, Trevor Chaloba and Malang Saar and bring Mason Burstow back from loan at Charlton. And three minutes to go in the season, Joe Hague scores the goal that keeps you up. And we were talking back then that the, the main thing around the club was never again. It's not going to happen again next season. And they did reinforce the group this year. They brought in Amari Hutchinson. They'd already brought in Dylan Williams and Zach Sturge. And then you bring up some others from the younger age groups. Uh, likes of Harvey Vale have played the second half of this season. Gabriel Slonino comes in mid-season and has he's played half a dozen games to really good effect. And I think they won't say never again for this season, but the aim will be to topple this City team. They, they're deservedly triple-time champions. They will be when they're crowned this time. They are the most successful on-pitch academy team in the country uh, over the last few years. Their record stands alone. Uh, how that transitions into the senior game is something we could probably do a whole episode on. I have plenty of thoughts on how they differ coaching worse to Chelsea and how the process differs for the outcome between the two of them. It might not be something to go into right now, but they're, they're very impressive in what they do and it's going to take a, a concerted effort to overtake them if you want to, I wouldn't say prioritise results at under 21, under 18 level, but you're there to learn to win. Chelsea have always put a premium on being successful at these levels and I don't think they'll be happy until they've they've toppled them. Cassidy, right? Cassidy yeah, as well. For he, the first half of the season. We, exactly. Look, Phil, we talked about this summer. Neil Bath was busy making signings as much as everyone else. Oh, and that's not going to slow down at all. And like, Neil's now the director of football development and operations and doesn't have direct oversight over the academy recruitment. But Jim Fraser's been running the academy recruitment program for years. They now have Joe Shields in-house and he's been busy and active in arranging sorts of other deals. You've seen uh, Dujuan um, Richards, the Jamaica international, the striker, he'll be joining on his 18th birthday. That sort of... Shields had a a big hand in in getting that deal over the line, flying out personally to Jamaica to get the deal sorted 
uh, at the behest of Newcastle. So good little Jamaican contingency. There is a little bit, yeah. Him and uh, Amari Hutchinson played uh, made senior debuts for Jamaica during the March international period. Uh, there's a couple of other Chelsea boys who have uh, Jamaican heritage or parentage who are eligible. Mm-hmm. Former Chelsea Academy youngster Jonathan Russell also made his debut during that break. He's now playing in the EFL. Um, so there's there's plenty of that going around. Uh, we've Chelsea signed Jimmy J Morgan in January uh, from Southampton, where Shields was uh, previously. It's uh, a little run that they've had from Southampton. They signed Tyler Dibbling before they he went back there. They signed Eddie Beach. Uh, it's a fertile recruitment area, fertile ground of talent. Uh, Jimmy J had knee surgery shortly after signing. Probably won't play this season, but will go into the dev squad next season. And it's going to be another really busy summer of recruitment turnover in this group. There'll still be a core that transitions into next season, but a lot of these boys are now set up for moving towards the next level quite successfully. Right. And obviously I think another big part of this, right, is going to be the staff for the dev squad, right? That's definitely something that, um, they made a change with last season and it's clearly paid off as well. How do you feel the staff have um, handled this new challenge? Oh, they've been brilliant. Um, we we came to the end of Andy Myers's run and he had a really good run, led the team to an unbeaten PL2 title, uh, oversaw the development of a, a series of players who've gone on to play for Chelsea or shine elsewhere in the game. And while being a lone technical coach these days, Andy's now working with uh, Frank Lampard's senior squad Coaching-wise, a little bit, just a numbers game helping out. He's got some uh, plenty to contribute there. But yeah, Mark Robinson came in having been uh, Wimbledon's manager for a while. Uh, James Simmons returned from uh, uh, a spell with Torandre Flo at Sondal in Norway. Went to Wimbledon with Robbo. They've been coaching together now at Chelsea for the year with Jack Michur, a couple of others. It's a really strong coaching group. The players uh, really enjoy their day-to-day work. You can see the effect it's had on on the on the the group technically physically the work rate the mentality has all been there they've fallen a little bit short in terms of getting to where they want to and winning the pl2 but resounding success overall yeah well i mean love to see it uh excited to to see like just everything snap into place for this team uh unlike you know some of the other places but uh obviously we know where we stand uh with the men's senior team it's not going well uh, we just had the Brighton dismantling at the bridge. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie, Phil. I think this whole this will come out after the Brighton match review, so my opinions will already, already have been made. But the subs and kind of the structure of the bench and some of the players that are playing just don't fill me with a lot of excitement, especially if they're on loan. And we 100% know they're not going to be here next season. Um, If they uh, wanted to go on loan and um, just barely didn't make that happen. I just feel like there's so, like, Matawake is nowhere to be found. Uh, Chukwameka is nowhere to be found. There's got to be some youngsters that have gotten first-team football under Frank. Uh, I think you and I have talked a little bit about we wish we knew more about Frank's remit as far as these players, but it doesn't seem like the youth uh, are firmly planted. But there's got to be people available to fill into some of these slots. Yeah, they do. It's it's an uncertain picture as we talk because Frank's had three games in a little over a week with, by his own admission, relatively little time on the training ground to do anything other than to work on fitness and and general mentality and approach play. Uh, and that's probably not going to ease up that much, although um, the chances of turning round uh, a 2-0 defeat to Real Madrid away are relatively slim. And so you, you look at the development squad and what opportunities lie there for some of these boys to get minutes before the end of the season. It's going to be really hard because of the bloated nature of the first-team squad. Um, Lewis Hall had a, a strong three months under Potter getting half a dozen games. And I made the point that five of those uh, six starts that he made were away from home. And they were in some of the more challenging environments in the in, in England. They were twice away to Manchester City, once at Newcastle, once at Liverpool, and once in a, a heated West London derby at Fulham. And he was absolutely fabulous in all of them. You, you'd like to think that he could make a return to the first team fold before the end of the season, whether it's in midfield or whether it's in, in a left-sided defensive role uh, as it was under Potter. And then... That one seems viable because he's a bit more of a known commodity right now. But you look at, say, let's say Harvey Vale. He's already competing against Madueke and Ziyech as left-footed attacking midfielders, let alone anyone else who's playing in those roles, Joao Felix or Raheem Sterling or Christian Pulisic or anyone else 
who is available in that forward line who are struggling to find minutes how do you find harvey he's been brilliant since coming back from the loan spell at hull it doesn't matter what happened at hull he didn't play there mostly because of injury and then because of a change of managers and the circumstances that weren't working for him the talent's undeniable he got half a dozen appearances under Thomas Tuchel and if you rate Thomas Tuchel's talent ID then Tom, then Harvey Vale deserves these opportunities. Amari got a few minutes under Potter. He's another left-footed attacking midfielder like Vale who's got a queue of young players ahead of him. You'd like to, these these boys all deserve some recognition at the end of the season. You could look at Charlie Webster and say right you convinced him to sign a new contract that runs to the summer of 24. That's sort of, it gives everybody time to breathe and to evaluate the situation. Is there a long-term pathway? Can you get him to commit to a longer-term deal? Well, a first-team debut before the end of the season would go some way to saying, yeah, this, we really value you. We really think you have a future at this club. You've had a great season. Here's a reward for go out there and shine. And then that leads you into the summer with a more positive mindset to renegotiate and plot the next steps. But when you have so many players who haven't played, we just saw Dennis Zacharia come back into the team having played less than an hour since January. These senior internationals aren't getting minutes. It doesn't really bode that well for the development squad, but let's say Real Madrid finished the job in midweek. They do the unimaginable. <laughs> let's just say, let's say Chelsea are out of the Champions League, then you've only got a league campaign left to run half a dozen games that you're not going to finish that high. You might sneak into UA for conference league place with best will in the world I don't think it's going to happen it would be interesting if they did because that's the sort of competition where you could quite comfortably blood a lot of these youngsters uh, West Ham have done similar this season for example and they're at the business end of the competition without particularly trying or impressing in the Premier League uh, if they get into it great but it doesn't look like they will so those games sort of become meaningless I don't think Chelsea are going to get sucked into a relegation battle but I'm not going to put that <laughs> too finely in case things continue to get worse Mason Burstow Premier League 2 player of the month for March scoring for fun Chelsea's got strikers can't score a goal for love nor money so you might argue he deserves a little run but you could do that for half the squad does Gabriel Slonina get a game before the end of the season doesn't we've got two goalkeepers senior goalkeepers in Kepa and Mendy who have uncertain futures is Slonina ready now probably not but you could find out by giving him a game there's you could make that case for a load of the boys in this team as much as I'd like to see it and as much as Frank has a history of doing it there are so many question marks that are unanswered at the men's first team level right now. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, like I said, um, even if they're not going to be first team players, but they have a future at the club, this is the way you should move forward. It's the time to find out right now. Well, it, but find, if nothing find else, out what you've got. Inform your decision making before the summer. Even if you know that they're not ready, then show them that you still believe in their future and give them trust. Exactly. Absolutely. Ziyech over... Omari Hutchinson, where are 90% of Chelsea fans landing right now? Omari Hutchinson, one for the future, wants to be here. Ziyech would, wishes he was in Paris right now. And Paris is not necessarily a better situation. So it is, I get it, but like internally they have their own messes. He's happy to jump ship. This, these are, this is how I'm looking at it, right? Yeah, you take the pragmatic course of it, but for a paperwork issue, Ziyech wouldn't be here and that opportunity would go to somebody else. There are performances where he's come into the team and been professional. His substitute appearance this weekend against Brighton was a relatively professional performance, put in the defensive work, did what he could. Then you have the game against Tottenham away from home where it looked like he was angling for a red card from halfway through the first half and tried his best to get there. VAR intervened. I'm not going to editorialise on that, but the simple fact of the matter is that Chelsea were willing to let him go at the end of the transfer window. So yep. reintegrating him is a choice that's been made to try to maintain whatever semblance of harmony is meant to exist within this overblown dressing room. Yeah. Look, the sporting directors and technical directors, they got to get involved this summer and they really need to shape the direction of this club because we are a squad of two different types of managers. Uh, we have an academy that the dev squad is busting with talent. They need to figure out what they want this club to look like moving forward and what players are on the pathways that need to get there and which ones aren't. Because this is my biggest problem with this season. If you're an academy player, you don't know what to think about the first team. If you're a first team player, you don't know what to think about the first team. And when they install a new manager, it's all going to hit reset, but that manager better fit the direction the club wants to go. And we can only hope to see what happens with that. Um, but with that kind of transition being said, Phil, do you feel like anybody on in the academy side is edging to get out the door? Do you feel like there are deals kind of already in place for any of the players or contracts running out? 
contracts running out yeah there's uh, a few boys who are out of contract this summer so just looking through the list here that Josh Brooking and Alfie Gilchrist and Malik Mothersill a couple of others uh, are due to be up I think there's an option for Chelsea to extend Brookings by a year there I don't think there is on an Alfie and uh, Malik's but I could be wrong um if they'd sign, they'd probably go out on loan next season. So they've got a decision to make for their careers. Do you sign and loan or do you take your chances and go somewhere else right now? And then from there, it's it's anyone's guess as to what happens. It could be another summer of transition. It could be relatively the same. I think more players are likely to go on loan than they are to leave permanently. But I've learned never to rule anything out because the, the we've spoken many a time about how competitive the youth transfer market has become in England since clubs were restricted by Brexit. Uh, the money is focused in a much more concentrated area and it's it's big money as well. So if somebody's offered you a sideways move from Arsenal to Chelsea, as Amari Hutchinson got last summer, um, for significantly more money and maybe a slightly better pathway, then these youngsters are going to take it because careers aren't guaranteed, money's not guaranteed, opportunities aren't guaranteed and Chelsea have a deserved reputation as one of the finest finishing schools in the country whether you make it through at Chelsea or not your chances of developing into an established senior professional somewhere within the game England or abroad are significantly higher than other clubs with no disrespect to those other clubs that's how a lot of people view this opportunity to play for Chelsea so I've, I think it'll be a fairly wild summer across the board in academy development and recruitment I don't think that Chelsea will face too much competition for a lot of their players they've got a lot of them under contract and decent sized contracts they're talking to some players about extending them some of these players will next now move on loan um you know in a loan process that has generally been quite successful over the last decade in doing what we've just talked about uh, and we'll go from there it's going to be plenty of for us to talk about during the summer break regardless of a lack of matches i'm sure that will happen uh it always does but i'm excited to see what happens uh such a good group coming through again copy paste from season to season um and and it's just you know more pushing for first team minutes but we are going to take our first break um, we get back we're going to transition to the u18s and how it is going for them uh so thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back when you're drafting your fantasy team do you ever wish that you could handpick the best stars for your business team look if you're building a talented roster you need indeed stop spending hours on multiple job sites finding the perfect candidate for the position because look indeed has all of the tools you need in one place to hire at warp speed sponsor a job and they're going to match you with the quality candidates whose resumes fit the job description that you post right away helps you start hiring fast and look indeed knows that you're growing your business you have to make every dollar count that's why with indeed you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring now just go to indeed.com slash blue wire indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply cost per application pricing not available for everyone need to hire you need indeed all right, Phil, U18s just beat Leicester 3 nothing, and that makes three straight wins in a row. Uh, Villa, Southampton, nothing but goals. This team has got 12 goals in three games. Uh, riding high. Yeah, they are, and it's, it's, it's good to see as well. They've had some inconsistency this season. Those three wins came off the back of uh, a pair of defeats to Arsenal and Brighton at the end of Feb, start of March. And... F- a testament to the lack of uh, consistency there. This is their first three-game winning run in the league this season. They've had pairs here, pairs there, and then they've lost a couple. And that speaks to why they're currently uh, fifth out of 12 in the Southern Under-18 League. They do have a couple of games in hand on teams above them. Uh, they've got the first of those is, this is going out Tuesday, so they've been playing West Brom as this goes out. Uh, if they win all their games in hand, they could theoretically finish second um, given that one of those games in hand is against Fulham, who are above them. And that would be a nice way to finish a season that hasn't, again, been as successful as we'd have liked, especially with an early FA Youth Cup elimination. But there's been plenty of positive development from this team, including mid-season coaching change. And I think the future looks bright for a really interesting group of boys. Well, absolutely. Um, and again, like they're very young. They're not all 18s. Uh, we definitely see a lot of ups and downs with this group because the learning curve is is big with them. Um, but not only that, the learning curve of the new coach, right? You got Hassan Suleiman came in from the 16s uh, with Ed Brand, uh, you know, progressing as well. Um, this is 
the part of the academy, right? You, you you just work your way up through the system, and and it's big for Hassan as well. It is, and we've seen plenty of evidence over that over the last twenty years. The likes of Paul Clement, and Brendan Rogers, and Ad Vivash, and Joe Edwards, and Jody Morris, and Steve Holland. Andy Myers, I could have probably forgotten a couple of names there. These have all gone through the age groups at Cobham and gone on to work at high levels within the senior game. And Ed um, went to join Jody Morris down at Swindon, left an opportunity for the under-18s, and Hassan stepped up from the 18s. And Hassan's been a coach at Chelsea for the best part of a decade. And the way I always like to describe these things is that Chelsea have a core of coaching principles of how football should be played. And then each coach adds their own personal twists on it based on the players they've got available, based on the matchups. Uh, and that's really been how Hassan's first couple of months in charge have gone. It's The core still looks like a Chelsea Academy team, whether they play with a back three or a back four. And then his own personal preferences and the dynamics of the players he's got available to him start to take over. And maybe one of the things that you can see a little bit more in his teams is that there's a lot of width and a lot of crossing rather than a lot of width that involves cutting inside and trying to play into play with your 10 or your striker. There's been a lot of go down the outside, get the crosses in. And it's been productive. We've seen goals from a lot of their forwards. So Daniel McNeely scored a couple under him. Louis Flower scored a couple under him. Ronnie Stutter, who's now back fit again after missing most of the season, has been scoring goals. Tudor Mendel has been in good scoring form, getting into those so-called dirty areas, which you wouldn't immediately associate with a, a player full of tricks and flicks and flair like him, but he's getting into the six-yard box and picking up second balls and tap-ins, and he's got nine goals for the season now. So maybe that's a little bit of who's available. You've had someone like Ato Ampa come back after a little layoff of a few months and start playing the assists with crosses on the right and productive play there. It's it's been really encouraging just to see how he comes in and works with a group of players mid-season. We don't typically get mid-season coaching changes with the under-18s, uh, which has been a dynamic for everybody to learn from. Yeah, which is good. And it's fun to see because, like you said, he's been in the job about a month or so. Officially, but he was in charge for a little while longer because there was a protracted spell where Ed was not confirmed by Swindon for paperwork reasons that are far too boring to go into. Well, which we've also learned real quickly from uh, Lampard and his staff and, you know, trying to get figured out if they're in or not, you know, so. Yeah, that's still not been confirmed as we speak. <laughs> the coaching staff, are uh, they're in plenty of photographs, plenty of club video, but not in written confirmation of who has joined him. So that's what I thought too. Anyways, that, that's kind of random. Because like, as you go on the website and you're looking at the, the staff, it's Lampard, Bruno, Bjorn. <laughs> yeah, some of those are still there because I think technically they're still under some sort yeah. of contract. Some yeah. Like gardening leave until severance packages are agreed i don't know there's there's bound to be a good reason for it but yes frank is working with ashley cole joe edwards chris jones andy bowie andy myers and a couple of others jt left the academy obviously went with yeah uh, he's he's Dean to Lester Lester. With Dean smith yeah, yeah he's been working with mostly with the development squad in sort of part-time mentoring capacity which is no doubt valuable to a lot of the boys who get to work closely one-to-one -one with him he's been loyal to smith and to craig shakespeare who he was with aston villa Going in there for a couple of months, see what he can do up at Leicester. And I'm sure the door's always open at Gotham for him. I'd be surprised if he hasn't got his own keys. Yeah, well, without a doubt. He's got that always accessible key pass, the thumbprint. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of people thought they were going to jump up together, but not. Who was Ash with? Ashley Cole. Yeah, he was with what ages? Uh, he briefly worked with the under-16s at Chelsea before taking uh, an England under-21 coaching job that I think he's still in. Then he went full-time to Everton when Frank went up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, good stuff uh, with them. Um, so we got that. Uh, Billy Gee, he's back. G. Yeah, he missed the best part of a year with what was initially, I believe, uh, a knee injury. And then when he was about to come back after nine months or so, there was a bit of a setback. But he's come back over the last month and it's been really good to have him back. He's nominally a sort of a number six type midfielder, but has spent more of his last year of so Chelsea playing as a centre-half in a three or in a two. And he's got that really elegant, upright, ball-carrying style reads the game super well, isn't afraid to put himself into tough tackles and scenarios. So he's got sort of centre-back traits, but that midfield opportunity to to play make and to drive forward. And that's really helped the team uh, to 12 goals over three games. It's that assurance in the, the first pass and the build-out of defence. And it's, it's good to see players who haven't played for a long time come back. We spoke about Ronnie Sutter very briefly earlier. He spent some of last season injured with a broken foot and broke the other foot last summer. 
So he's had a, a lot of adversity to come through. The, show, the club offered him an extended contract during his recovery. He's come back. He's been captain in the under-18 scoring goals. Similarly, seeing Billy G back uh, with the run into the end of the season is promising, particularly because it's hard when second years get injured towards the end of the second year and they can't carry momentum into their move up to the development squad. He'll age out of eligibility for the under-18s this summer. And if you haven't played in a year and then have to go up, it can be really hard when you have to do that. So being able to put together six to ten games between his comeback and the end of the season will serve him well as he goes on to that next step. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the uh, huh. the table is is different, right? So obviously it's U18 Premier League. We're in the South group. Uh, most of the team's competitive, right? Crystal Palace, 37. Fulham, 36. Tottenham, 35. Chelsea, 32. But then you've got West Ham at 51 points. And champions as of this past weekend. As of like a Arsenal. month ago. Oh, they, 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 won, they, were, they, they won their first 13 games. At that point, they weren't going to be caught. I know we speculated a little bit. We had a laugh with it. Can Chelsea catch them? Maybe. And then Chelsea won a one at West Ham and it was the second defeat of the season for them. And you thought there's, there's not really a chance, but they slowed it down. They delayed it a little bit. In fact, West Ham could have won it the weekend before they did. They were at home to Brighton. 3-2 uh, up in stoppage time. Brighton scored twice and uh, fully extinguished the planned celebrations there. But West Ham have had a great season. They're in the FA Youth Cup final against Arsenal. They beat Arsenal to win the under-18 league. I think they're heavy favourites to win the Youth Cup and you have to give all the credit in the world for a, a terrific job, but that's the bar that they've set for Chelsea to go and attack next season. Chelsea have to to, to meet that challenge. Uh, it was West Ham's second place last season to a really, really good Southampton team. Part of Chelsea's answer to that was to sign some of Southampton's best players. So not saying, but I'm just saying, have a look at the market this season. And if, uh, if West Ham have a player or two that Chelsea have got, um eyes on for sure who knows we're in fifth but we but we're 18 played right so yeah exactly so there's a couple of games in hand uh, the west brom game they've got to play full and they've got to play palace they're playing teams above them you win those and as we've said already if they're not going to win the title then finishing second is is got to be the next target yep and it's there uh big big ones against palace and fulham because they're second and third ahead of chelsea so anyways uh good stuff from them uh glad to see that they're uh, staying competitive um, again the, like this just goes to show you the 18s uh, is is very much like a roller coaster it's hard to be consistent Southampton are down to eighth Arsenal are down to ninth um, teams that you'd expect to kind of be up and amongst it it just doesn't always happen but Crystal Palace yeah. they've been on a good run Palace have had a really really strong time of it and I don't really like drawing attention to it, but this will be four seasons in a row so that Chelsea haven't won it in uh, the Southern League after winning it for five in a row. So West Ham have won it this year, Southampton the year before, and Fulham the two before that. And Palace have been competitive every single season since it's coming up from Category 2 status. They're second in this league. They could finish second in the PL2. Unbelievable amount of talent that goes through that club. There's some crossover with Chelsea, usually with Chelsea players ending up at Palace having been released from Chelsea. So someone like Jezerin Raksaki who's on loan at Charlton doing really well. He made his debut for them last season. He was at Chelsea for a decade. Michael Olise was at Chelsea from 7 to 14, went around the houses, ended up at Reading, signed for Palace. Uh, senior level, uh, there's obviously a lot of cross-contact, cross-collaboration because Chelsea recruit heavily from South London, as do Palace. Uh, it's all credit to them. You look at the London proliferation at the top of the Southern League, West Ham, Palace, Fulham, Tottenham, Chelsea, all in the top five. Arsenal having an off year in ninth, but they're in the Youth Cup final. It's it's ultra, ultra competitive. And you, you just give recognition and credit to the team that finishes on top each and other every year. And you, you look for the ones that have got a particularly strong, promising generation coming through in the years to come. And typically, all of these clubs do have strong crops coming in. It's just various shades of who's better at any given time i think you could have seen this west ham one coming a few years ago based on some of the results at under 15 and under 16 and you pay attention to that now who's it going to be in the next couple of years in the north man city are always going to be dominant for numerous reasons the south seems to have a little bit more churn and unpredictability well, with the North, I was shocked to see uh, City on 54 points, not so much, but Sunderland in 53. It's really interesting that Who because Sunderland. Sunderland? <laughs> when we talk about sort of younger age groups and the youth development phase being predictive markers of what's going to happen under 18, Sunderland are routinely very, very competitive under 14, 15, 16 level. What tends to happen is that a lot of their better players get poached by richer clubs. Sunderland's academy has 
not been in the best place over the last few years. The club has toiled down to the third tier of English football, financially problems. And so you end up, some of them go to Middlesbrough, some of them go to Newcastle. Liverpool took three from an under-15 national champions team all at the same time. And you can't really survive that level of, uh, of pillaging by other clubs, but they've managed to hold on to a really strong group here that includes a 15-year-old who's been playing for the men's first team on occasion this season. He had a disallowed goal in the FA Cup. He hasn't even... He's played six games this season for their under-18s, so he's by far not a regular, but they've got talent. They've got England-level youth age recognition, and they are pushing City all the way, which is really good to see because, like we've talked about at PL2 level, City dominate under-18s as well. We need teams to to unseat unseat them, unsettle them, and to, to provide that variety of challenge. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, look, Sunderland are way up in the northeast corner right next to Newcastle. Um, so again, for them to kind of do <clears throat> do that business uh, is fun to see. I think most of us, especially I think a lot of American fans watch Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix. That was really good and uh, interesting. So I think we're all at least aware of Sunderland yeah. and their um, ability to fall through the leagues faster than most people could have ever predicted. And a lot of that just has that trickle-down effect onto the academy, that if things aren't going well at the top level, if things are financially hard, the cuts will be made to every department of the club. And if you don't have a particularly strong, rich academy budget and you start slashing it, it's going to take its toll. You'll have fewer coaches, you'll have poorer facilities, you'll have players that will start to look out the door because they can read the writing on the wall. You'll have clubs swarming around them to take the best talent because they know the situation like everybody else. And you never want to see a club like that. So Derby have suffered quite a lot because of their very well-protracted, um, well-reported rather, um, financial issues over the last few years. They've got one point in the PL2 this season, played 18, lost 17. They know the situation, but they're they're building back. And the under-18s in, in the north, they're doing well enough 18 points from 19. Yes, they're 12th out of 13, but they've kicked on in the second half of the season after a struggle. This, it becomes a thing. Sunderland had a few fallow years, but they'll come back. Derby will come back. And you really just want to see a strong academy system from as many teams as possible. And that includes the Category 2, Category 3, because it can only be good for everybody in the English game at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, let me triple check. Yes. All right, we're going to take our ad break. When we get back, there's actually a lot more to talk about. 17s, 15s, hanging out in the United States. Uh, what's going to happen with Champions League being missed next year with the youth teams? Uh, and also, maybe what we're going to do with Ian Motson. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. Okay, Phil, the 17s, we're at the Ajax Future Cup. Um, the 15s, we're at a Generation Adidas tournament here in the States. There's a lot going on for the younger teams at this time of year. A lot of tournaments, it seems like. Yeah, so the Easter week into the Easter weekend saw more than 100 or almost 100 academy players from every age group from the youngest 2015 borns <laughs> all the way. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to get into those right now. But yes, there are 2015 borns in academy football. All the way to the 2006s, who represented Chelsea's under-17s at the Ajax Future Cup. And it was the first Future Cup in three years. It's a really prestigious, high-level youth tournament hosted by Ajax, as you'd expect it to be. It's the first time Chelsea have been in it. Uh, they didn't fare particularly well. They finished 7th of 8. They had a group stage with Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Norgeland and Anderlecht. Uh, they lost to Paris. They lost to Norgeland, who ended up winning the whole thing comfortably. Uh, they drew with Anderlecht, which set up... Uh, Sunday game for the last place playoff against Pachuca, uh, which they won. It, it was a good opportunity for a lot of the first year boys to play and some of next year's scholars and even uh, one under 15, Hudson Sands goalkeeper, who uh, we should point out made his under 18 debut at Leicester, as we spoke about earlier. 15 years old, kept a clean sheet. Um, Ted Kerr did that a few years ago and has gone on through. He's currently injured, which is part of the reason that Hudson played these games. Um, Chelsea have a lot of young, talented goalkeepers coming through. But I digress. Um, yeah, a good opportunity for a, a lot of boys to get a tournament in, particularly with the early exit from the UEFA Youth League, which we'll touch on in a minute. It just gives them a, a more diverse games programme to go uh, to Europe, to around the world, and to take in these tournaments and play in three games a day of 60 minutes, 30 minutes each way. It's, it's, it's a challenge. You've got to prepare your body and get physically through it and... Uh, and learn to win and to win tournaments. So uh, good for those boys. And then the the 15s, as you said, were in Florida for the Generation Adidas Cup. Uh, again, 
they had their learning experiences, good and bad results. But probably the most interesting thing for a lot of people looking at that group from afar, um, some people may have watched it on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. There's a few famous names through that group. You may have recognised, for example, Damian Cech in goal, um, uh, Landon Emanalo in midfield, and Isago da Silva, uh, left centre-half like his father, Thiago Silva. So, to some extent, this is expected of people who are attached to a club for a long time to have capable young footballing talent in their family at the same academy. It's convenient, it's local, it's easy. It's not literally just a case of nepotism. They have to be good enough to be in the system. Uh, and these boys have gone through the age groups, deserved it. Um, to varying extents, similar to their parents, yes or no. Thiago's boy is a left centre-half who moves and looks extraordinarily like him. The younger Czech goalie hasn't quite got his dad's height yet, but you expect him to develop into that at some point. Emanalo played central midfield, left back, a bit of a utility man like his dad. Just interesting to see these boys come up and get an opportunity to play. There's a lot of talent in those groups as well. Um, but yeah, just having a look at the squad list there and seeing a few names you recognise, always nice to see that coming through at the academy. Yeah, that is very fun. Uh, I'm sure we'll make sure to get that on social just to uh, spread the awareness. Um, you know, it, it was it was fun to to get to watch some of those games. Uh, the Generation Adidas is a big tournament over here with a lot of MLS academies there. Um, I know the MLS was pushing it on their end for a lot of the successes they had, but it's just good to kind of see um, those players get exposed to to different countries, to different types of refereeing, to different styles and stuff like that. And to be able to come over to the U.S. and play in Florida at some of our best facilities is just fun to see, you know, I think for Americans. So I have the MLS season pass, got to tune in and watch and um, realized why I was never going to be a pro. These 15s are absolutely impressive. Uh, what oh, they it was can terrifying to see some age. of the the level of talent, especially coming through the MLS Academy. Chelsea lost to um, New York Red Bulls in the, the sole game that was televised, um, broadcast live on the season pass. And they've got forward called Julian Hall, 15 years old and only recently 15 as well, who was... So, like, I, I'm very aware and commonly see talented, physically developed athletes coming through in English football. And this boy was as quick as I've seen, as strong as I've seen, and technically as capable as I've seen, and all within the requisite age group. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that he this this was a high level tournament, and the Red Bulls didn't win it. I think Philadelphia won it in the end for the under fifteen age group that Chelsea were in, and you'd expect the US sides to perhaps dominate. They're on home soil, they prepare for it, they don't have to travel, but they dominate justifiably. And I'm, I hope Chelsea return to this annually because it's, it's really good exposure for the boys, really good for them to go over and play in these tournaments, different environments, a lot of humidity that they won't face in England for sure, uh, and opportunities to, to network and establish a presence stateside, which all strands of the club I'm certainly will be doing this summer again as they did last summer. Yeah, excited to see how that shapes up. You touched on it earlier, but uh, obviously with Chelsea being out of the Champions League, Almost guaranteed. I mean, they're going to have to turn around a 2 nothing deficit at home against Madrid, go on through the semifinals, which it looks like it's going to be City, uh, to then actually probably having the easiest finals compared to the quarterfinals and the semifinals if they were to get there. Oh, yeah. um, but that affects the academy. It does. Um, looking like for only the second time since it began, they, they won't be in the UEFA Youth League, which will be very disappointing because it is as good of an under-19 tournament as exists in Europe. Chelsea have won it twice and lost the final twice. They haven't had a good run in it in the last couple of years and it will be a shame if they're not in it for next season. And to be honest, nobody knows what it's going to be like the season after because that the 24-25 season is when UEFA are changing the format of the Champions League to the so-called Swiss model where everybody exists in one 36-team league table. Um, and how teams end up qualifying for that is going to be varied and there'll be heritage spots or coefficient based spots, which should assure Chelsea of a place regardless of how they're doing in the Premier League. But UEFA are yet to announce how that affects the UEFA Youth League because that's just a mirror of the Champions League as far as the 32 on that side. There is a domestic champions path. So in England, that'll be West Ham against Manchester City or Sunderland. 
So if West Ham or Sunderland win it, they'll be in the Under-19 Champions League next season. If Man City win it, that place goes to another country. It doesn't go to another English team. So Chelsea won't be in it next season. And that does affect the games programme. It means, firstly, you've got six fewer games for the Under-19s, which is some of the Under-18s, some of the development squad. Six minimum fewer games. But it's also, you, you don't have the diversity of that high-level competition. And then you start to think, how can we fill that in? This season, they were knocked out halfway through. They didn't get to the knockout stages. They'd had the seven games, but you supplement the games programme by going to things like the Future Cup in Amsterdam. Knowing next season they won't be in it, do they, for example, enter the Premier League International Cup, which is ostensibly an under-21 competition, but teams like Arsenal have been in it this season and used a lot of younger players. Liverpool have done similar. It's not quite as high quality. It's all hosted in England. You don't go abroad. All the European teams come to you. Um, Chelsea were in it seven so years ago. Chose not to moving forward. They could join other tournaments mid-season. They could go off on friendly excursions they've got a friendly in monaco before the end of the season for the development squad they had one at rangers in scotland the week before we're talking so it's 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 something for them to plan for but it's just disappointing because we've all got such good memories of the uefa youth league and chelsea winning it and so many of the alumni going on to achieve great things for chelsea um and we won't be in it next season that's sad yeah yeah for sure um you know, Chelsea, big club, want to be in the biggest stages, um, biggest competitions in Europe. And this obviously will be a miss. Um, so it's probably good at times. The men's team can make sure the youth academy get it. And then there's other times where the youth academy should get it when the men's team shouldn't. So it just kind of yeah, is what sure. it is. And it's why I wouldn't mind them qualifying for the conference league. It's like, yeah, it's weaker than the Europa League, which Chelsea have sauntered to winning twice in the last decade. And you don't want to be in the Europa League, but if you're in it, you win it. And if they're in the Conference League, you can then start to make a case, well, some of these boys who would have played in the Under-19 Champions League are probably good enough to get minutes alongside the seniors in the Conference League, especially the group stages. As you advance along, you appraise each challenge as it comes, and there'll be some decent teams at the business end. But if Chelsea are in that competition, they should win it far more comfortably than they've ever managed to win the Europa League. And winning the Europa League was relatively comfortable. So that would offer an opportunity to fill in some of the gaps in the games program for the higher achieving under 19s who are looking forward to taking that next step but it looks like it's going to be a challenge to even draw another game this season let alone would get enough points to finish seventh or eighth or whatever it needs to be to get into that competition now yeah that, that i think that ship is sailed road to 40 baby uh it's just a yeah, we, we need to be looking over our shoulder at the wrong end of the table. We don't looking upwards is a little bit ambitious at this point. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a weird table. Normally, forty points is safety. Now, thirty points is like safety or or something. It's just and then the top of the table, right? Like, there's no centurions. There's probably no nineties. They're gonna land in the high seventies, low eighties, maybe. And so I think like the whole points has just come down by about eight points or so. And I think that oh, it's, it's been remarkable. Just yeah, the Aston, Aston Villa are suddenly potentially Champions League candidates. They went one point away from relegation with Stevie G, put in Unai Emery, are knocking on the European door. It's unbelievable, and it's relatively frustrating that maybe a month or six weeks ago you could have made the same case for Chelsea, but again the slide has uh, continued. Yeah, we let's not dwell we on that. did the opposite, <laughs> right? We went from fifth to to down at the bottom. So yeah, but you've got enough episodes of this where you guys are having to find answers to all the negative questions. Let's uh, try and use the academy platform to be a little bit happier. You're all good for all of our sake. <laughs> yeah. So the last one is uh, Ian Matson has had a stellar season in the championship with Burnley. Uh, the problem question mark is that now Burnley have been promoted. So. What do we think happens with Ian Matson? I think a lot of fans would love to see him in Chilwell on the left flank. Um, obviously, is it easy just to keep him signed up with Burnley again for another loan, let him get some Premier League minutes and assist him he's comfortable? I guess, how are you reading the situation uh, with Ian Matson? I think you've done a, a good job there of summarizing all of the options, except for one, which is to sell him permanently to satisfy uh, any reported financial fair play concerns that Chelsea may have. Not a concern if you're not in Europe. Precisely. So <laughs> it's an option, but it's not one that they have to take. Like the logical step based on having Chilwell and Cucurella under long-term contracts is to leave Martin at Burnley for a second season. I've, I'm typically against these second years for a player at a club. 
if that if it's just returning to the same level we've seen it a few times players have gone back for a second year of a test lewis baker did it players have gone back for a second year in the championship and not to a higher level so martin's had two years in the championship he was at coventry city and now he's been at burnley and burnley are now playing in the premier league next season so that would be fine he would be going back to an environment he's established in a team that he's comfortable in with a manager who not just understands him as a player but has a very clearly defined role based on the Manchester City coaching prescription this fullback who inverts inside and plays as part of a build-up phase which comes perfectly naturally to Ian because he plays mostly as a central midfielder for the Dutch national youth teams despite playing on the left for club so it's perfect situation for him the problem will be that Burnley aren't going to dominate everybody dominate possession and be the same team that's going to win the championship title by a country mile this season that in itself isn't a problem because you want him to get the experience of playing in all sorts of different scenarios coming up against the best premier league players week in week out and answering the challenges that are going to come to him playing at a higher level the question would be do you learn more doing that at chelsea in 20 games than you do at burnley playing in 40 games does playing for burnley in a likely relegation scrap condition you to play at a lower level than coming into chelsea and playing at a higher level my own reading of the situation has always been if you're good enough to play for Chelsea don't delay it carry the momentum in there's only been one time realistically in the club's recent history where players have been able to go from the championship straight into the men's first team and that was when Lampard took over in 2019 he bought Mason Mount Tammy Abraham for Kaito Mori directly from the championship into the squad and they were all able to perform at an acceptably high le- level uh, Reese James as well sorry there he was at Wigan the same season went in he just didn't start the season because he was injured came into the team in September never looked back you can make the case for so many other players to have deserved that opportunity uh, and Martin's the latest in a long line of doing so he's been the outstanding left back in the championship this season does that mean that he's Premier League quality already or not who's to say Chelsea have just spent 100 million straight up on Madueke and Mudrik who are similarly aged profiles, different positions, yes. But one was playing in the Ukrainian top flight, one was playing in the Dutch top flight. You can make a strong argument that the championship is not just... Maybe you can say a tougher league, but you can also say a league that translates more into English football, into Premier League football, than the other two. Mason Mount was on loan at Vitesse in the Netherlands, the same league that Madueke was playing in. He then went on loan to Derby before it was assumed that he was Premier League ready. The Ukrainian top flight is with respect to it probably a lower standard than both of those yes Mudrik has some Champions League experience and that does help but if you're prepared to gamble big transfer fees on their potential and their development and insert them into a first team environment you can make the same case for somebody like Ian who you've already got under contract and don't need to spend big on that he's ready for the same sort of commitment now I wouldn't say I expect it just because you renew Chilwell and he's established You've got Kukurel under a long contract that if you don't plan on shifting him, then he becomes a, a burden on the squad and a financial burden on the sheet. Uh, and Matson might be deemed the most expendable. I think it would be a shame because it kind of speaks to a lack of a meritocracy in a way that you do all you can and more when out on loan. Chelsea have a year option to extend, I believe, to 2025. So the, the reported 2024 contract isn't an issue, but... Ian and his advisors can make it an issue as well. I don't want to go on another loan. I want some certainty in my career. We've seen it before. I think it's going to roll and roll and run and run throughout the summer. Uh, I don't know whether I'm optimistic about him being a Chelsea player this time next year, but I would like to see it. Well, I think a lot of people would. He's he's really excited a lot of people. I mean, what's your, what's your feeling? Because I think, you know, we lost um, Tino to Southampton. And then we lost Tarek Lamptey to Brighton. I think Chelsea fans are seeing that there's some high potential fullbacks coming out of the academy that for whatever reason we we misjudged or mistimed. Um, is is he the next one? I mean, he had. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he had a phenomenal season in the championship. Yeah, you can definitely say he's the next one, and more so perhaps than Livramento and Lamptey because neither of those went on loan while they were Chelsea players. Lamptey came into the team midway through Frank's second season. Uh, it might have been, sorry, it was his first season. 
um, had some injury issues, but the contract situation was up. And then you look, he looked probably at Reese in front of him and Livermento behind him and made the move that was right for his career. He went on to Brighton and before the injury started to slow down his progress was one of the best young players in the Premier League. Tino went at the same time as Miles Pat Harris and Lewis Bate in a summer of uncertainty after Frank's departure. Again, hadn't played any top-flight football and Southampton were in a position to trust him that Chelsea wouldn't necessarily have committed to. I mean, we still technically haven't provided a capable backup to Reese James. Yes, Malagusto is under contract and will join in the summer officially. High-quality teenage talent who's done some really impressive things in the game but isn't necessarily a known commodity at this point. We trust that he will be because it's... uh, the right sort of profile of signing to make but it begs the question do you need to sign Malagusto if you commit to Livermento or Lamptey three or four years ago and save yourself that fee and the headaches in between you kind of have the same with Martin now who has over 100 senior games in his early 20s 21 uh, does everything right by the book seems ready for the next step but now has two senior players in his position ahead of him Whereas some of the Chelsea boys, uh, the, the right backs didn't. Yes, Zappa Costa was under contract, but I don't think anyone was realistically looking at him as being a blocker. Um, it was more about the philosophy of and the mindset of, well, we're going to bring this guy in. And then you sign Sol Niguez on loan. And well, if he's going to block Billy Gilmore playing, what does it speak to my opportunities and things like that? It's part of the big puzzle that the co-directors of football need to solve this summer, as we said earlier in this episode, that they need to present a vision and a clearly clearly defined pathway ahead for all of the young players at the club, whether they've been signed from elsewhere or whether they come through at Cobham. And your guess is as good as mine right now. Maybe I've been conditioned to be a little bit pessimistic about the chances of being coming through. I would love for him to be in the squad next season and to contribute because I believe he would improve Chelsea's performances. It's as simple as that. Well, I think that's pretty much the easiest way to to break it down, which is what we're hoping for. Um, you know, uh, Sel Niguez not only prevented center mids from coming through, he also prevented left backs. Uh, don't forget that, Phil. Yeah, he did it all. Every day. God, Every single day. This is what we need to turn I had around. No disrespect at all to the player himself, but the process by which he ended up at Chelsea and then ended up playing for Chelsea is a tremendously flawed one. Let's leave it there. For sure. So anyways, uh, that's going to wrap us up for the Cobham Crew Academy update. A lot's going on. Uh, it's the end of the season. Um, you know, like I said, they're positioning to to f- aim or they're positioning themselves to, to finish as high as possible. There's definitely a lot of eyes at the Academy with Frank back. What do we, what message are we going to send to the squad in the last, you know, whatever, eight, nine, the remaining league games? Um, you know, hopefully a lot of opportunity because some of the players that we saw come in against Brighton just left a lot to be desired. And I miss Lewis Hall. Very, very plain and simple. Would love to see him uh, put on the first team kit again. But Phil, as always, we appreciate you. A lot of content on Twitter, at Chelsea Youth. Um, We appreciate you. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, anyways, follow Phil. Uh, Then you get all the real-time updates. Otherwise, he'll be back with more content. Uh, We've got, obviously, Real Madrid coming out tomorrow. We've got a Tinkerman on Friday. More and more content throughout the week per usual. So uh, make sure you're subscribed uh, and check it out. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Get the blue flag flying high.